1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is episode 57. This is another of our quarterly fifth-week installments, where we temporarily put the brakes on our chronological look at the development of Superman to look at something else that relates to the character or his stories in this era, but is isn't exactly easy to tackle in depth as we go along in the the regular episodes of the show. This episode, we're going to take a bit of a closer look at a story from New Adventure Comics number 12, which I first mentioned way back in episode number 10. That issue contains a Federal Men's story, where we meet a character by the name of jor L. While it was the 12th issue of the comic, it was actually the first titled New Adventure Comics, As the first 11 issues, it was simply called New Comics. The cover is the only place you'll find New Adventure Comics, though, as the indicia inside continues to read New Comics until issue 15. But most indexes start the retitling here, which is a bit odd since usually what's in the indicia is considered the official name. But in any event, the book kept the New Adventure Comics title through issue 31, when they dropped the new, making it simply Adventure Comics, a title it retained until the series ended in 1983. At the time of its cancellation in 1983, it was DC's third longest-running title, and still today stands as their fifth longest-running, as Superman and Batman both passed it prior to their cancellations in 2011. But coming back to issue number 12... The comic was released around december thirty first, nineteen thirty six, with a cover date of january nineteen thirty seven, so it predates the publication of Superman by just shy of a year and a half. Even though the book had a new title, the content remained more or less the same from previous issues. At this time the book was comprised of more than a dozen features from a pretty wide range of genres, each being one to four pages in length. And really, it would remain that way for a while, as the book slowly evolved to the point where it had less features, but the average length of those features was longer, you know, when the superheroes took over the market. But one of these strips was Federal Men, by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, which had run since issue number two of the title. It was the third feature from the pair, following Dr. Occult and Henri Duvall over in New Fun or more fun comics as it eventually became and as it was when this issue was published. Federal Men focused on FBI agent Steve Carson. I haven't read just a whole lot of the strips, at least not as many as I'd like to read, but the strip started out as a fairly typical G-Men type strip, as you might expect given that it stars an FBI agent. (laughs) But very early Siegel started introducing a lot of outlandish sci fi elements into the stories that you wouldn't normally find in that type of strip. The first story from issue number two was a basic kidnapping tale, and then the second involved Carson protecting a guy who is manufacturing high tech planes. Then the next seven stories from issues four through ten are a loosely connected trilogy of stories that involve a huge army of criminals using high-tech weaponry and military machines in an attempt to take over the country. And the story just keeps building and building over the the nine issues, excuse me, over the seven issues, until in the final stories, you've got robots attacking a city. And not the silly-looking robots like we saw in the Luthor story a while back. These are huge, Art Deco-style, Fleischer-esque robots towering over the city. It's just incredibly imaginative. Perhaps it didn't fly well, though, because after that story wrapped up, Issue 11 was a done-in-one story with Carson smashing gang rackets. Issue 12, which we'll talk about in just a minute, gave us a look at what crime-fighting might be in the future. And then from Issue 13 on, it was more of a straightforward G-Man strip with the fantastic sci-fi elements significantly toned down. Eventually, they introduced the Junior Federal Men, which became a predominant part of the Strip. The Junior Federal Men actually started out as an official fan club. Uh, Think Superman of America version 1. And were then written in as an actual part of the Strip. The story in issue 12, though, uh, appropriately served as a sort of swan song for the more science fiction-laden elements of the Strip. And though it was... Undoubtedly not Siegel's intention, it also gave us a bit of a preview of the the sci-fi elements that would make up Superman's backstory. The issue was edited by Major Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson. Both Vince Sullivan and Whitney Ellsworth were at the company at this time, but the major who founded the company that today is known as DC Comics or DC Entertainment was still credited as editor on, I think, all the titles. The cover is by Ellsworth. Though it has nothing to do with the story we're looking at, which is the four-page Federal Men's Story, written by Jerry Siegel, or Jerome Siegel as the story is signed, and illustrated by Joe Shuster. Like a majority of Siegel stories from this early golden age, it didn't have a title originally, but has since been called Federal Men of Tomorrow. Our story begins as Steve Carson is introduced to a scientist by the name of Professor Grant, Apparently Carson's boss has been explaining to Grant some of the scientific methods used in their crime solving, and Carson asks Grant if he has any predictions about what crime solving might be like in the future. Grant's story slash prediction takes up the majority of the rest of the strip, as we fast forward to the year 3000 AD. We enter into a tense situation, taking place at the headquarters of the Interplanetary Federation. Using the thought vibrator, a machine Grant describes as being sensitive to criminal thought vib- vibrations, the Federal Men have detected some sort of trouble in the area of the Torque Mountains. jor a sleuth of the Federal Men, lands his space flyer and sets up a radio ear device that lets him detect the sound of any voice within a 100-mile range. Much to jor surprise, the machine picks up a voice saying, jor we have you covered. "'Make one move toward your disintegrator, and we'll blast you to atoms.' "'As fellow federal men at the headquarters listen in via the microscopic transmitter jor had swallowed, "'the voice commands jor again, "'clasp your hands over your head. "'Now turn!' "'As jor turns, he is confronted and held at gunpoint by the villainous Nyra Q, the Bandit Queen, "'and two green-skinned, yellow-jumpsuited alien thugs. "'One of the thugs demands that Jorel talk, and starts to shoot,' But Naira turns on the thug, shooting him instead, saying she wants jor left alive. A high-pitched whistle blown by Naira Q causes a huge door in the side of the mountain to re- open and reveal a ship. Once inside the ship, Naira Q reveals she has taken jor hostage to prevent the Federal Men from attacking. Soon, Naira Q and her band of pirates, now out in space, launch space bombs, halting the progress of the Interplanetary Express... Which is hauling a priceless cargo of radium, the pirates don space suits and prepare to board the express, while Naraku radios an approaching fleet of federal men, warning them to stay back or Jor-El will join her men in space, but without a space suit. Meanwhile, though Jor-El swallows an invisibility pill and unseen takes out the guard with an injection from a hypodermic needle, with the guards out of commission, Jor-El is able to take Naraku into custody. And the pirates soon surrender. Thus Grant says, "Superior scientific ingenuity plus iron courage won out in this battle between law and disorder." In the days yet to come, Carson then inquires about the penalty Nara Q and her band of of pirates would face, and he's surprised when Grant explains that in the future, criminals will be corrected, not punished. Nara Q and her thugs undergo brain operations removing their criminal desires and making them upstanding members of society. Carson laments that his squad doesn't compare to the federal men of the future, but Grant tells him that while they may not have ray guns and radio eyes and space cruisers today, Carson and his G-men certainly still get results. Next issue, Steve Carson tears into a drug ring. Be on hand to pick up the pieces. So, okay, this is a very... Fun story. Well, lobotomies aside, that is. But still it it's really fun. I mean, yeah, it's it's very much like the sci fi of the time, you know, kinda silly and, and Buck Rogers like. But I I think I would like to see a Federal Men of Year of the Year three thousand strip as it might have been done by by Siegel and Schuster. Siegel had a real mind for sci fi that he never really implemented on his work on Superman or or other strips that he did here in this period of the Golden Age. Unfortunately, as I said, the strip from here on out, and and really even before, to be fair, was much more gangbusters-like, but it would have been fun to see what Siegel did here in the context of it being the, the real universe rather than just a dream sequence. The art, too, is really great. Schuster's eyes were a lot better in 1936 than, than when Superman was launched and since at this time they were only doing three short strips, which amounted to about eight pages total per month, he had more time to spend on each page. And each page here is basically a six panel grid, with the last two pages only having four panels each, so we get a kind of a, a splash panel on each page. And the artwork within the pages is just a a lot more detailed and a lot better rendered than than his early Superman work. And I'll be sure to put a few panels from the story in the show notes at greatkrypton.com if you want to check out more. But here we meet Jor-El. Not the first Jor-El, as the Superman pitch and the Krypton scenes were all written before this, but the first published Jor-El, at any rate... As I think I've mentioned a time or two before, Siegel had a a sort of habit of either reusing names or, or simply not naming characters. It tapered off somewhat once Superman hit the big time, but not entirely as we've seen. I'm not sure if he just wasn't good at coming up with names, or if he just didn't feel it was necessary. The fact that he does it over and over, and in places where it really would have been better to just throw in a name for the character tells me that maybe it just wasn't a strong suit of his writing. Friends of mine who are writers have mentioned in the past that coming up with realistic-sounding names is a lot tougher than it seems. But either way, that's you know that's just all just speculation, and obviously something we'll, we'll probably only ever be able to speculate on. But at the same time, it really shouldn't be a, a surprise to see elements of their Superman pitch working their way into other stories. Superman had been, quote unquote, on the market for several years at this point, and Siegel and Schuster, despite their faith in the strip, they had to be starting to feel that it wasn't ever going to sell, given the long string of rejections that they had on it, in addition to the fact that they were already gainfully employed, you know, doing other strips. So, I can't help but wonder if Siegel didn't just think it wasn't an issue to start piecemealing elements from it to use in other strips. Uh, since, you know, to their mind, Superman might not sell anyway. Dr. Occult, one of their other strips that was running at this time, over in More Fun Comics, he got a vaguely superhero costume at one point. And in the earlier Federal Men's stories I mentioned, there was a group that wears costumes very similar to Superman's, just without a cape. Uh, they even had chest, ex- chest insignias. And while they weren't an S-Shield... They, they clearly resemble what Superman would make famous. And then there's Slam Bradley, a character who a lot of people have pointed out the similarities with Superman. And while that's really more on the artistic side of things, there were a decent amount of overlap in the writing, too. But then that could owe as much to the fact that they were just done by the same people, rather than that they were plucking items from their, you know, as far as they knew, failed Superman pitch. But this story, it does make for an interesting footnote in the history of Superman. And just to be clear, the Jor-El here is spelled the same way as it was in the opening story from the newspaper strips, with the suffix uh, simply the letter L, rather than the phonetically spelled E-L that it would become later. Unfortunately, if you want to read this story, it has never been reprinted. In fact, I don't think any of the Federal Men's stories have been reprinted in recent years, except for the one from Adventure Comics number 61, which was towards the end of the strip's run. That issue was the debut of Starman, and got a Millennium Edition reprint in 2000. I've actually never read that story, but it shouldn't be too hard to track down that Millennium Edition if you're really interested. It would be really nice to see all of the Federal Men's stories collected, well, it'd be nice to see more. <laughs> it'd be nice to see more non-Superman work from Siegel and Schuster collected period. But as far as the Federal Men's strips go, the strip only ran until issue 70 and was four pages more or less for the duration. So they could easily collect that in one volume. I don't expect it to happen anytime soon, mind you, but maybe someday. dedicated to covering all aspects of the superman legend featuring the thrilling adventures of superman golden age superman the superman fan podcast superman in the bronze age from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Superman Vidcast. The World's Best Podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer,
0: J. David Weeder.
1: Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Kamen Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus and co-host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Steel and more. Superman So that's it for this time. I, I really hope you enjoyed this sidestep into what I think is a neat little footnote into Superman's history. Next episode, we'll be back on schedule and we'll be looking at the Superman story from the 1940 issue of New York World's Fair Comics which features Superman's return to the iconic fair. Before then, please stop by the website at greatcrypton.com for back episodes of the show, as well as show notes for this episode. Do be sure to stop by and check out the panels posted for this one. It's an interesting sample of the pre-Superman Joe Schuster artwork. At the site, you'll also find the RSS feed, as well as the iTunes link, if you want to subscribe to the show. Please feel free to follow the show on Facebook and Twitter for updates. And last but not least, if you have any comments or feedback on the show, your emails are welcome. Just drop me a line to thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. Please check out the Superman homepage as well as the Superman Podcast Network for tons of other Superman-related content. And of course, don't forget my other podcast, Green Lantern's Light where Jeffrey Taylor, J. David Weider, and I spend a whole lot of time talking about Green Lantern. We're quickly gaining steam and hitting a really interesting point in the titles, and then we're going to launch right away into Crisis on Infinite Earths. So it's a, it's a really exciting time in the books that we're covering, and, and I think you'll dig it. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster and his copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to the Thrilling Adventures of Superman, folks, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye.
0: A virtuous spirit has no need for thanks or approval. Only the certain conviction that what has been done is right. Develop such conviction in yourself, Elan, kal Ralph, whatever your name is. Just cut, 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 cut. We'll just pick it up.